What is up ASM? Welcome back. We are in our John series and this is your one warning for today. This is probably going to be the nerdiest sermon you've ever heard. We're going to dive into some nerdy stuff both in the text and in my life and my preferences. So you're going to love this, uh, I hope. If not, probably going to get some judgment from you guys. I'm ready for it. All right. Well, sir, here's where I want to start. We're starting right off the bat. Uh, I have a roommate, Trevor. Trevor, one of my best friends. Grew up with him. Uh, one of the things that we like to do in our house is watch movies. Um, I'm a big movie guy. Uh, I had Movie Pass back in the day. If you know what that was, got to go to Unlimited Movies. Uh, it was amazing. So I went to movies all the time. Loved them. When uh, Avengers came out, first of all, the very first Avengers, I camped out to watch it. I've, I've gone to all the Marvel movies in theaters. Basically, night they came out. There's maybe one or two I missed. Uh, but so I loved, and I hope you loved uh Avengers Endgame, right? Infinity War and Endgame, the ending of that saga. Maybe you haven't seen them yet. Maybe when you're older, you get to see them. But if you have, I hope that you loved them. And we were re-watching these movies in our house, right? I mean, COVID and everything, we were kind of on lockdown, uh, all that stuff. So we started watching all these movies again. And Trevor comes down and is like, you know, man, I didn't really like Infinity War. They were like, dude, what? Infinity War's like, I think I liked Infinity War more than Endgame. I was like, Infinity War is probably my favorite Marvel movie. It was so good, so much, so emotional. Oh, it's crazy. And Trevor's just like, yeah, I mean, like, I didn't even know, like, who half the characters were. And we're like, hold up, hold up, bro, wait. Have you seen the Marvel movies? He's like, I mean, I've seen a few of them. If you know, if you know the Marvel movies, you know how big a deal it is, right? All of the movies are tied together. All of the characters play into each other and it's all leading up to this big culmination in Infinity War and Endgame that's like the ending of all their stories. Except now Marvel wants to make more money so they're making more. But you know, like it's all of this is tied together. And I talked to Trevor and it turns out he hasn't seen Age of Ultron and he hasn't seen like the three movies after that that kind of lead into the, the Endgame and Infinity War saga. And I'm just like, dude, no wonder you don't understand it. So you have to get the context to understand it. And this story totally jumped to the front of my mind as soon as I read John 2, which is where we are today. We're in John 2, 1 through 11. We're gonna read it in a minute. But when I read this story, if you don't know the context of what's happening here, and it's really easy not to, because it doesn't state all of it for us. It's expected that we know what's happening here. If you don't know it and you read this, you miss the entire point. You, you miss the value. And this actually stands out as a really weird story. And we're going to talk about that. Um, but what I want to do today with you guys is I want to break down some of this context and how we can find this and then what it means for us. Uh, why did Jesus do this? Why is this recorded for us? So with that, if you have a Bible, I recommend grab it, a physical Bible, open it up. If you don't, open it on your phone right now. John 2, 1 through 11. And let's read God's word. Um, this is the word of God, right? So it says this, starting in verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana, or Sana, of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had been invited into the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. 
Nearby stood six water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Sana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. That right there, we're going to come back to that. That is, that is a key verse for understanding this. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about what just happened there. Um, first, you've got to understand a little bit uh, of just the, the context of the story. So Jesus is at a wedding, right? Um, and Jesus is there, we know, with his mother. Uh, and later we hear the disciples are mentioned, and there's the servants, and the bridegroom, and the host. So there's these characters in the story. But, but we're going to start with Jesus and his mother. And you might have noticed at one point Jesus calls his mother woman. Um, Jesus is not being disrespectful here. I would not recommend that you try this on your own mother. But in the original language in which he was he was speaking, saying woman is actually just addressing a title. I mean, he's just calling her literally woman. Um, it's, it's not like saying, woman, what are you doing? That's disrespectful. Don't do that. Really never try that with your mother. Uh, but Jesus is saying that. So that's the first thing. Don't think Jesus is being disrespectful. It actually is still respectful. So he asks his mother a question, though. He says, woman, why do you involve me? Uh, because G- Mary has brought to Jesus' attention saying, hey, this wedding has run out of wine. Uh, And and so there's a little bit of context we have to understand here is that in the first century, which this is happening, uh, wedding feasts were a huge deal. And wedding celebrations actually usually took several days or even a week long. Um, And so at this wedding celebration, they would have wine. They would celebrate with it. And Mary is saying, Jesus, they've run out. And that's a huge deal because it's really, really embarrassing. If you are the host, if you're the bridegroom, or in our words, just the groom, if you're the groom or the host of this party, it's really embarrassing to run out of wine. You always bought too much to make sure you didn't. And so Mary's bringing it to his attention. And Jesus gives an odd response. He says, why do you involve me? My hour is not yet come. Uh, we're we're going to talk about that. But what Jesus is saying here is like, what do you want me to do? Uh, and Mary responds with something that is admirable. And we can take this away right away. Mary says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. She puts it in Jesus' hands to manage however he sees fit, which is a healthy and natural response, or at least it should be a natural response for us. So uh, we have to remember, again, context. Jesus' ministry, this is, we're in John 2. All that's happened in John from the past few weeks, do you remember from Mitchell and Curtis, are Jesus has just kind of started his ministry. We, we've interacted with John the Baptist, and he's gathered his disciples. He hasn't really done much else in the story yet. We, ha- we haven't seen much else happen. And so the question that we should be asking with this story is, why is this here? Because individually, this story sounds a little weird. It seems like Jesus is doing this just so that a wedding party can keep partying on. If you read it at surface level, that's totally what's happening. I mean, that is literally what the story is. But Jesus, in his wisdom as being the son of God, he knows 
what this is. And the big thing with this is, is there's symbolism. There's symbols that he performs. That's what verse 11 says. And so we need to ask the question, why is this here? And in order to find that, one of the good things to remember is John 20, 31, which is our theme verse for this, or our, our understanding of the book of John, which is, but these are written that you may believe. The things in this book are written that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Why did John record any of this? It's so that you may believe. That's our theme. And so if we approach this from, why is this here? Well, it's here so that we may believe. That's what verse 211 says. It says, this is the first sign that Jesus did where he reveals his glory to us. And what happens? The disciples believe in him. The symbolism in this this story, and there's a lot of it, and we're just going to talk about small bits of it. The symbolism in the story is huge. Uh, symbolism, uh, another, we're going to go nerdy again. Symbolism, another way of thinking of that in scripture is like Easter eggs, right? So Marvel movies, the new Star Wars movies, those are full of Easter eggs, right? Uh, if you know what I'm talking about here, Easter eggs are those fun little things that are included. They're like a callback to something old or like the original movies, or it's like a reference to another movie, one of the prequels, whatever it is, that's an Easter egg, right? And so like, for example, in Star Wars, you know, sequel trilogy, not, not the biggest fan, but in the sequel trilogy, episode seven, eight, nine, in episode nine, the rise of Skywalker, right? At about the one hour and 26 minute mark. I, I know this, trust me. At the one hour, 26 minute mark, Ben Solo, Kylo Ren, sees his dad, Han Solo. And he sees him in a vision, but Han Solo is already dead and he talks to him. And there's a bunch of references there that we need to understand what's happening, right? He says, I, don't, I know what I need to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. That's a callback to episode seven, right? We, he knows that from when he last saw his dad. Uh, the other one, Ben starts to say, I love you to his dad. Uh, and Han Solo says, I know, which that is an Easter egg, a reference back to episode five, The Empire Strikes Back, when Han Solo is about to be frozen into carbonite. I know, I'm a nerd, I know this, but I understand that. But here's the thing, this is where it's really cool. We need to be a little bit nerdy, at least, when it comes to understanding the Bible. Because when the Bible has Easter eggs, they're not there for fun little tidbits. They're actually there because these are the fulfillment of God's supernatural, sovereign, divine, whatever word you want to put on it, his prophecy, his plan that he has laid out for us. Jesus says the things and does the things in this story to fulfill prophecy so that he can reveal his glory and that we can believe in him. That's why. So when Jesus says, for example, my hour has not yet come, that's a reference to, we'll see that throughout the rest of the book of John. It's mentioned kind of as like Jesus' time in other uh, gospels, like Gospel of Matthew. But in John, Jesus will say, my hour is not yet come, or the hour is approaching. We'll see things like that. And what the hour represents, and we need to know this, is the hour is the time of his perfect sacrifice on the cross. And, and that's not referencing the, necessarily the literal hour, but it's the time in history that is coming. And what he says here is my hour is not yet come. He's saying, it's not actually time for me to reach there. I, I'm not going to reveal myself fully, except here he does give us a glimpse. It's in a small group and it's recorded for us now, but at that time, it's, it's revealed to the small group of people around him that they do see his glory. Uh, so 
The hour is huge. What's even bigger though, is the symbolism of this wedding, right? So in the wedding, we see a glimpse of Jesus as the future bridegroom, or Jesus as the future groom. Uh, like I said, this is like an Easter egg, except in this case, it is we can call it a reference or, or fulfilling prophecy. So there's it, a bunch of places in the Old Testament that reference a future time where the Messiah is coming, where the bride is getting ready for her groom, and the bride in the story is us. And it's in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Joel, and Amos, other places that this prophecy is given. And Jesus is fulfilling that for us. He's actually giving us a glimpse of the future fulfillment. Excuse me. And so I'm, I get excited about this, man. This is nerdy, but this is huge. And it's massive to our understanding of this text. So Jesus is the groom of this godly future wedding where he has come on this earth now. And what he's doing is he's preparing the way for this future wedding. And this is what the gospel is. And this is what the story of John is, is this is the first step of him preparing the way for this wedding. And what this future wedding represents is that Jesus will return to earth and the church will be his bride, that we will be wed together in now perfect relationship. That's the second coming. That's new heaven, new earth. That is what we look forward to and long for as followers of Jesus. And one of the aspects of the coming wedding as promised in the Old Testament and as referenced here is that it will be flowing with will be flowing freely with wine, among other things. But wine is a symbolic uh, meaning into weddings as celebration, as a celebration of the feast. It's a celebration of that wedding. And so Jesus turning water into wine in this story is not about continuing the party that's happening on earth. Although that is achieved, he does provide for these people and that is miraculous in and of itself. But the bigger miracle here is that Jesus is saying, hey, all of you, which these people, the Jewish people would know, hey, all of you that are looking forward to this future wedding, this future feast, I am the one that will provide it. That is the glory that he's revealing in this story. And, and that's, that's the big idea is that it's Jesus' glory that's revealed that gives us faith. He is revealing that glory that he is the provider of the wine that will flow freely. Ultimately, we know that that will come partially by his death on the cross and his return. And we don't understand that just from the story yet, but he's giving us a glimpse of it, right? And this is where it comes to our response. How do we respond to what I hope is a amazing revelation? Well, we go to the book of Revelation. Uh, it says in Revelation 19.7, says this, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come. That's Jesus. The wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It's that last part. Jesus is hinting, I am the bridegroom. He's revealing that to us. We know the wedding is coming. Revelation promises the wedding is coming. And what does it say? The bride has made herself ready. The bride is the church, the greater church. That's us. If you believe in Jesus as your savior, you are part of that church. The bride has made herself ready. Are we preparing for this wedding? Imagine this. We just did love month. So imagine this. Imagine you're getting married and your spouse is coming. 
and the wedding is approaching. And imagine that your spouse or you just sit there doing nothing, saying, I'll get around to that later, right? There's things to prepare for. There's things to get ready for a wedding. You should be excited. You're getting married. And you sit around doing nothing, literally nothing, and just saying, you know what? It's kind of on the back burner for me. I've got some other things I want to accomplish first, right? What if that's your response? And, and this, is, this is the problem for us, is that we don't know when the wedding is coming. But even if we did, even if we knew the exact day that Jesus is returning, it's not something that you get to procrastinate and say, hey, I can get around to that later because I have X amount of time. It's just not what this is about. If you understand what this wedding is, what this represents, what Jesus has done for us, if you've been saved, you understand that you need to be preparing now, that the actions of your life, the things that you do, the things that you say, need to be done in preparation for this coming wedding. That's what it's all about. That's what we ought to be doing. We need to recognize that the glory that Jesus reveals to us in this story serves a purpose to reveal that he is the Messiah, that it's to his glory that we celebrate and we prepare for the coming wedding where he will provide and where the wine will flow freely. That's what's promised in the Old Testament. That's what's promised in this story. And that's what Jesus reveals to us. And that's what our call is. And so these are a couple of hard questions and really think about them. But how would you first, how would you describe Jesus' glory to someone that does not know Jesus? Right? If this story is all about Jesus revealing his glory, how do you describe that to someone? What does that mean? But then second, and part of the reason I'm doing that exercise is that you think about it for yourself. Second, in what way do you see yourself preparing for the coming wedding. If he's revealed his glory in this story, in the rest of his life, which we'll get to in John, if he's revealed his glory, in what way are you preparing for that wedding? And maybe the question is, are you? And if you're not, how can you start? Right? Yes, this is, it takes some nerdiness to get into this, but that's a good thing. It's a good thing to be nerdy about God's word. It's a good thing to want to study it and learn. And so I hope that this is an encouragement to you guys. To If you don't have a study Bible, I'm just going to give a quick shameless plug. If you don't have a study Bible, this one's the NIV one. We have these at ASM. We'll sell you them for $20, which is cheaper than you can find them because we want you guys to have them. Uh, I recommend it. This is how we can help find some of these tools, how we can help find some of uh, this context that we need. And it's a great place to start if you don't have one. But uh, diving into God's word is an exciting thing. And it gets me excited about this. I hope it does for you too. So have a great week, guys, and see you next week.